Jim Henneman joins us now. Jim, a writer with PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Also, official scorer for the Baltimore Orioles. Actually, technically, Major League Baseball. Jim Henneman joins us. Jim, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Jim, thanks for coming on again, and apologies again about last week. No problem. Um, let's, let's jump into this. Before I had you on, I want to talk about the three pieces, the three main pieces you wrote this spring. I thought they were some of the, the best sports writing I've read in a long, long time. We'll get to that in a minute. If you're the Baltimore Orioles now, what do you do with Chris Tillman, Jim? What do I do with Chris Tillman? Well, I, you know, I'm Stan. I'm not really ready to to jump into that. I, you know, I, you know, obviously they're going to have to do something, but uh, yeah. that's, uh, you know, I, I'm just not close enough to that situation to to realize where this. Uh, let me. Their options. They don't have. You know, there's not a whole lot of options yeah. unless they can find a DL spot for him. So. Let Let me ask you. Let me attack it in a different way. You've been around longer than I have, and I've been around a long time. Have you ever seen someone who has fallen this far? come back and still be at least a serviceable major league pitcher, Jim? I can't honestly say that I have, but yeah, it's, uh, it's probably but, happened, but you know, I'm, I mean, I, you know, perhaps, but, uh, I mean, not, not here. I, I mean, I yeah. don't, I don't remember that happening here, um, too often. All right. Let's, let's move to a brighter thing. They get Alex Cobb today, and whether he's ready or not, he's going to get the start today. Um, aside from Chris and Mike Wright, the good news here is so far they've, uh, they've got three decent starting pitchers right now, which is well, something. And, and I'm, I'm, gonna be some, I'm maybe the only guy in the world that's still not ready to throw Mike Wright under the bus. So yep. uh, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing that. I, I will say this, that his game, uh, his last start, you know, I, it's, it's your, your cup's half empty or it's half full. I saw a guy that made a lot of good pitches. He just couldn't make good pitches when he had to, to put a hitter away. And that's a, you know, that, that's a big thing. The, the big difference is he was a guy that was pitching, uh, with two, one and two counts. And as opposed to Chris, Chris is pitching to three and one counts. And yep. So, uh, you know, he, you know, I still, you know, I, I, I'm not giving up on that arm. His arm is still good enough to. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be a starter, but uh, well, that's I what he, I, I think he can be a serviceable pitcher. I, I, I agree with you there. Tell me how you see the difference between him and Castro. If you are planning, maybe after the next start that Chris gets, if he does take it, um, which would you prefer to see in the rotation right now between Castro and Wright? Uh, th- that's a hard question for me to answer. I, I, uh, you know, right now, uh, I probably, I probably would, uh, I probably would say that, you know, I would run right back out there one okay. more time. Okay. Uh, if, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Castro has, uh, has certainly got the same kind of possibilities. I mean, you know, the, the I mean, the other kid, the kid pitched again last night, Arujo, uh, but I don't think he's, even geared to be a starter. No, I, mean, I don't either. He's been he's been all uh, relief pitcher uh, along the way too. It's you know that's a it, it that that's a hard uh, it's a hard mix. I mean it's it's really kind of foolish for me to sit here and think that I know more about that than the guys that are making those decisions. I mean, you know, we can sit here and criticize the uh, criticize or second guess the the end results, but yep. you know to sit here and think that I've got more information or that I know more than they do is kind of 
it's going to be kind of stupid. All right. Well, Jim, I I give you a lot more credit than that, but I, I understand. Uh, let's let's move to the positivity here. If Cobb comes in and is truly ready, the Orioles never had four starters going in sync last year at all. In fact, the most they ever really had was two when Bundy and Gosman were both pitching well. Uh, that's a real positive thing for this club. No, listen, their pitching has been fine. I mean, yeah. you know, they're, they, you know, if you know, you put a couple runs on the board and 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 get a lead, uh, you know, you can you can win. I mean, what's their record? Five and five and nine. Right. Five and nine. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, I mean, how difficult would it be to turn two of those games around? Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's. You know, when we looked at this schedule way back when. So you get through April with 500, you're probably in decent shape. Now, having said that, you weren't expecting, uh, you know, Boston to run out and, and threaten to do what uh, what Detroit did back in '84 and maybe run off a 35 and five thing and put everybody to sleep before it even starts. So right. I think that's a big concern right now. I, mean, ta- I think it's almost imperative that they win. You know, they they win a couple of games up there yeah. because uh, uh, otherwise they're gonna, you know, they, they're gonna take charge and. Uh, you know, I mean, the Yankees, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they, they conceded too much to the Yankees a little bit too soon. Uh, their pitch was not, not good enough to be, for them to be considered that strong. So, um, I think I, I'd be a little wary of the Red Sox at this point. We're talking with Jim Henneman, writer for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. And, um... We will uh, continue our chat right now with Jim. Jim, um, the offense, and this is, again, before we go into talking about some of your great writing from this spring. Uh, did you see this coming at all, the the problems they're having collectively? I, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, you, you certainly saw enough hints of it. I mean, there, it wasn't like it wasn't like they had a great offensive year last year either. Yep. I mean, a lot of that stuff – kind of goes hand in glove with the, you know, with pitching sometimes. I mean, they fell behind by four, five, six runs so many times at last year that, I mean, sometimes I can take an offense a little bit out of sync too. But having said that, you know, there was, there were some indications last year that there, that there were, you know, there's a lot of things. There's no real true leadoff hitter, which is, I mean, that's, look, that's, that that's, we're not, this is not the first team that ever had that problem, but, uh, you, you know there there are some things there with uh, with certain guys, yeah. That uh, you you could possibly see that they might struggle a little bit. And and the way it is right now, I mean, actually the the Alvarez signed in the offseason looks like one of the better moves. I yeah, mean, uh, I would agree. Uh, he's given a, a decent left-handed bat. I mean, I don't know. I look at I look at a guy like Curtis Granderson the other day, and I'm like thinking, well, you know. If we were really looking for a left-handed hitter, why wasn't he on our radar? But uh, I mean, that's that's a pure second guess. Yeah. But you know, speed, speed, a little bit of power to left-handed hitter. Same kind of hitter as as we already had, which is a which is a problem because he's also a strikeout guy. But um, you know, you Toronto, know, we, we just have a lot of guys that fall into the same yeah into the same thing, and that's just you know that's kind of the roll of the dice a little bit. I mean, I I think. There's some there's some evidence that that's going to change down the road because they do have some guys some decent uh, hitting prospects in the system it looks like so hopefully those kind of you know you won't get you won't get saddled with that and and part of it is that's the nature of the game is I like, really it's yep. not the only team that's a swing and miss uh, 
swing miss or hit a home run kind of a team. I mean, the Yankees are definitely going to be like that. I mean, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind about that. They'll probably strike that a lot more than the Orioles will. Uh, two two quickies, and then we'll get into talking about the writing. Um, so far, what do you see that you like about Beckham at third, Machado at short, and is there anything you don't like about it? I, I mean, I never really had a whole lot of worry about Beckham at third because I, I just felt like that third is a is a reactionary position, and you know, you either catch it or you don't catch it. Uh, uh, his arm is his arm is, uh, is is strong enough. It's not Manny's arm, but uh, right. he probably won't be able to play. I mean, one of the things that made Manny so great at third base was his arm is so good that he could play so deep, and uh, and, to, and and which which greatly enhances the his range. Uh, difference wise, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really, uh, I don't think that's been a factor. Uh, Manny's played played well. I mean, I don't think he, you know, I, for whatever reason, he's the. The, uh, there's more action at shortstop. It's not as spectacular a position in a lot of ways as, yeah. uh, as third base is. I mean, that the play the other day was, you know, I mean that was a five star play. But how many of those are you going to get in the course of the in the course of a game? Uh, so, what about the catcher? Uh, not Joseph. He's off to a terrible start. But uh, what do you see with Chance Cisco so you know, far? I, mean, I think he's going to be a good hitter. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm, you know, I don't think that's. I mean, everybody thinks the same thing about him. They always, I mean. His defense has always been questioned a little bit. Uh, hey, look, I'm a defense guy too. But the bottom line is, a really good catcher throw out one out of three guys. So I'm, I'm, you know, if if he if he, if he can hit, he's gonna play. All I mean, right. I, you know, there's no question in my mind about that. Jim, you went you went down to Sarasota, which you've done every year since they've been uh, the Orioles have been there, and you've been at all told what is it 45 spring trainings? Yeah, in, in one in one. One way, shape, or form, or another. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they've been in various in various roles. Some certainly as a spectator, uh, so, but uh, uh, you know, and, and even now, I mean, it's uh, it's as much. Uh, you know, I mean, I get to do a little bit of writing uh, when I'm down there, but it's as much uh, it's as much just for my own satisfaction to keeping my hand involved as it is anything else. And, well, you seem this year when you went down to to sort of look at some big picture ideas. I mean, your, your first piece, you, you took the train, the auto train down, which you hadn't done. I don't think before. And you envisioned yourself back in the forties, you know, uh, that's how baseball traveled. Was there something going on with you, uh, that you were in a much more reflective mood this spring? Um, you know, I don't think so. I think that was my, just, that was my little fantasy, uh, my little fantasy trip. I had heard so much from so many guys. Uh, I mean, when the Orioles first came here, I mean, that was the mode of travel was, was a train and it pretty much stayed that way, uh, until the late fifties, early sixties, I guess. I know when, when Paul Richards was here, he hated to fly. So he, he was on the train as much as possible. And, uh, in fact, I think one time they actually took a boat from Cleveland to Detroit or, or the other way around. Um, but yeah, my thing was, and you know, it's funny. Ernie, of course, he was, you know, the former Colt and Giant uh, sure. GM, who's who's a great, great baseball fan. And uh, he told me one time he he loved to go to spring training. He loved to take the auto train, and I told and I told him that I had always looked at it, but I I never saw where I'd, I could really save money doing it. So mm-hmm. that that was always a that was always thing. And for some reason, it spurred me to look into it a lot earlier than I ever had before. And when I realized that it was a, uh, it was a little bit of you know I could save some money and uh, doing it that way, I decided well, 
you know, I'll, I'll do this in, uh, in, in my own little way, uh, you know, fantasize about how things were back in the day when, uh, when teams travel by train and you heard stories. I mean, the stories are legendary. Some of them, I mean, about, I mean, from the writing standpoint, cause the writers traveled. I mean, I guess I often thought about, I got a note from Jim Evans, the old umpire, and he, he said umpires told him a lot of the same same stories that I had heard from from writers. But I often wondered that. Well, that had to be really cool if they had players and managers and coaches and umpires and writers all on the same train. Which I think a lot of ways they they didn't do that. They they were able to isolate uh, either trains. It's like when the Orioles came back from New York the other day. They didn't just have a car. They just had their own train. They had just their own small train when they came back. So. It probably was a lot of that, but what? there were stories of of guys doing writing on the train. It was a train made stops, like say between New York and Chicago or New York and St. Louis, or some of the Western Union people actually come and pick up their copy and right. send it back to the newspaper. So, so yeah, for me that was that, that was kind of a uh, kind of a, a thinking back to what it, what it might have been like, uh, you know, back in the day. And, of course, when I came back on the auto train, I told that Dan Duquette had gone down with his wife and, and young son right. the day before I had. And and he said that he said his, his little boy likes the train. And then he told me the story about Bill Giles, the former Phillies owner, telling him that uh, his dad, who was the, the Cincinnati Reds owner, and then later the National League president, used to take him to spring training on the train all the time. So that, that, those were were, you know, little tidbits, but I told Dan, I said, the difference is, I said, it was hard for me to think about, okay, this is what it was like back in the day when I was coming home because it was the last day of spring training and I have a laptop and I'm sitting in the lounge car and there's six hours of exhibition games and I can watch on my laptop. So that kind of that was blows the hell yeah. out of the wind about what it was like back in the day. So Hey, your uh, your second piece that you wrote, was really kind of a comparison piece between, you know, I think a lot of us up here when uh, February 10th rolls around and it's 13 degrees or 18 right. degrees, we get really romantic about uh, our sports writers who are got six weeks coming up in Florida. But you made the point that that with social media the way it is, this is a much tougher job than it was when you were a beat writer in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. I mean, and and even even when I first started doing it, I mean, it, it was tougher than it was tougher than I perceived that it would be. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. You know, the bottom line was in those days, as I point out a lot of times, we had we had deadlines. But when the deadline came and went, you were done for the next. You know, you were finished for the next twenty four hours. Right. You know, in today's world, you know, your next deadline was five minutes ago. Right. And uh, it's just a. Uh, it's a whole different atmosphere, and it was never, uh, the, you know, the old idea of of lolling around the pool or being at the beach. And uh, I actually was—I actually remember in the later years when I had one day off, I used to we used to arrange some cookouts on the on the beach in the in the Fort Miami Fort Lauderdale area on the, on a Saturday afternoon. But in all the years that I was that I was in spring training, I can remember going in the water one time, and I got hit by a jellyfish. So they took care of that. <laughs> Hey Jim, we we um, I know we all respect the job Rich does with Press Box, Rock, and uh, Steve Molesky, Ed and Cena, Mioli, Brittany. We respect that. Is there something to this though that we're all in this generation so busy getting that next bit of information out? Do we 
really understand and observe the subtleties of the game the way that you or Bob Mazel or John Stedman were able to back then when things were at a different pace? I, I would I would agree with you on that. I, you know, that's I mean I'm not a I'm not a things were better in the old days type of guy because you know things change and things for the most part they do get better. But yeah, I agree. I just think that um, the, the requirements are such that the, there, there's so much going on. I mean, some of the questions that I have about you know when when these guys are in the press box and they're all pretty much doing the same thing. You know, to me, it would seem like okay if if we really got to be this hip on on Twitter, then let one guy concentrate on Twitter and one guy concentrate on the game, one guy concentrate on Facebook or mm-hmm. whatever other yep. things. I mean, it, it you know to me, you know, let one guy just but but the way these things work, everybody has their own following, yep. and everybody's got their own following on all those all those items, and the, and the, the concept is is that. It's almost impossible to keep all that up and keep a scorebook going, keep a notebook going. Uh, you know, yeah. that part of it, I, I mean, I find that almost impossible. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking back on it now, and that's why, I mean, I have a lot most respect for those guys and the job that they do because it's it, it's it's mentally and physically tiring. And, uh, and I think that it's really difficult. Uh, in, in most cases, you know, you're whether whether you're writing 140 or 280 characters at a time, or whether you're writing two or 300 words at a time, it's it's just hard to be constantly doing that from the first pitch to the actually from an hour or two before the first pitch because they get a lot of the pregame stuff out of the way. But it does seem like there's almost a never-ending volume yeah. of of, uh, of information, and and I have to admit, for the most part, most of it is useless. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we we kind of live in in an era of feed me as much useless information as you can, and and, and, uh, and I'll absorb it. But, so, hey, your uh, your third and final piece uh, from spring training 2018, it accidentally got kind of mischaracterized in our headline. It was Jim Henneman's final spring training reflections, or something to that. And I uh, pointed out to our editor that, hey, wait a minute, this is not the final spring training that Jim Henneman's going to, and you made well, that clear to me. Well, not that we know of it. Uh, well, uh, we any, of us, of it. any of us could be on our last one. But but you, uh, your reflections at the end of this spring training, I thought that was just a beautiful piece of sports writing, Jim. Well, you know, I appreciate that. It's just, um, you know. You know, there there are so many things that you know you think about and you go back and it, and and it's crazy. Sometimes the the things that stick with you the longest and make the uh, the most indelible are not necessarily from uh, the top guys. You know, I mean, for instance, like my first spring training, Hank Aaron was getting ready to break Babe Ruth's record, and 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 we played the you know the, those two teams played against each other so many times in that spring that it almost got it almost got to be boring. You know, the, the one thing I remember getting out of that was the, the fact that, that, that Earl Weaver would pick Eddie Matthews brain about, mm-hmm. you know, his philosophy so far as hitting was concerned. Uh, the incident and the, the one thing in, in 75 with Dyer Miller is a story that I've told a million times over, you know, about a guy who 29 year old rookie who you know, was basically perfect in the spring training and uh, he couldn't make the team because, uh, because the Orioles went home with, went back home with eight, eight pitchers, pitchers. And, and never and never added a pitcher until the middle of June. Wow, that's and, uh, that's unbelievable. You know that was uh, 
in the thing, and then there was a uh, what was it the one year where they used? I mean, I I was looking somewhere. I saw somebody used thirteen pitchers in in the first week of the season. I said that's two pitchers more than the Orioles used all year in seventy yeah. seven. I think it was. But what, what if I told that's, you that's a different time? You know, yeah, what if I told you the Angels last night used their ninth starting pitcher of two thousand eighteen already? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty that's, staggering. That, that, well, I mean, to me, I mean that's the old. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the old, I don't know, is, is that the subtraction by addition? Yeah. I mean, are they, yep. uh, do they have that many good starting pitchers or do they? No, they've got have, injuries. They've got yeah, three, two yeah. guys on the DL and right. uh, and one yeah. horrible start by Parker Bridwell. Yeah. Hey, Jim, yeah. Uh, I, I got to ask you a curveball question. It's not about baseball, but before we let you go, it's something I've observed and I'm just curious you know, because you've been around through Brooks going into the Hall of Fame, Frank going into the Hall of Fame, Eddie, Earl, Jim Palmer. Uh, and in football, you were around when Raymond Berry went in, Lenny Moore. Am I missing something? It, this this year, I don't sense any buzz, and I don't know what that buzz is supposed to be, but I don't sense any real major buzz in this town that Ray Lewis is going into the Hall of Fame. I know that's uh, a curveball question for you. Yeah, I can't. I I, I don't have a feel for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I I really don't. I I I think that if if anything, I'm I'm sure there is a buzz to a degree. Yeah. I'm sure part of that is the, is the hangover from last year and all the things that yep. went into it. I, you know, because I, I I mean it, there I know that a lot of people talked about it for years coming up until he was gonna he was gonna be eligible, but. The, you know, I mean, there, there's there's definitely a, a hangover effect. Uh, I think from you know, last year to a hangover effect, and and as are, you know, all sports to a degree, yeah. and and in in a lot of ways, uh, you know, people that are vying for the entertainment dollar. Yeah. I mean, uh, you L- know, like, it's a um, listen. Know, it's, I- not a, it's not a pick and choose. I mean, not like I'm, for instance. I mean, and this is really a curveball thing, but I'm looking at. I'm sure that the. I'm sure the Orioles wish that they hadn't decided to give away that Hawaiian shirt on the on the on the weekend when the Angels are going to be right. In town. Right. Uh, you know they got a couple of big promotions going on, and I mean that right now. I bought I bought some tickets there last week, and uh, and I can tell already that 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 series is going to be uh, monster. Yeah. Yeah. Monster that's that, you know, there's there's a possibility there they could have three sellouts there, so and that, that doesn't happen very often. So. All right, Jim. Keep up the great work, not the good work. Keep up the great work, and uh, I, I, I look forward to seeing you when Cleveland comes to town. I really appreciate the time today. Okay, take care. Have fun, guys. All right, All right. there you have it, right. Jim Henneman, great baseball writer, extraordinaire.